everybody, and welcome back to Butter With That, a movie cup. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. We took like five minutes to center ourselves and did like a breathing exercise and everything. And Immediately, immediately. <laughs> I, I say we keep it. This is the butter cut. Oh, no. oh God, release the butter cut. <laughs> it's um, going to be four hours long. At this point, it might be. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anyway, welcome back to Butter With That. We're a movies podcast hosted by um, some of your favorite people from Philadelphia. I've lost all control of my life. Um, my name is Sam and I'm here with um, Dave, Connor and Christine. And we are talking about heist movies this month. Um, I don't even know anymore, everybody. How, how are we doing? What's going on? <laughs> Anybody watch anything good? well i um this will be uh you know this will be kind of old news by the time that this episode airs uh, and I, I imagine the hype will already have been uh thoroughly explored by everyone but uh yeah the snyder cut came out uh i watched it that of course uh zach snyder's uh achieved directorial reimagining of um of the film justice league the dc property where, uh, you know, in, in Avengers fashion, all of our DC superheroes come together and uh, try to fight uh, the big bad. And uh, it was four hours, four hours and two minutes included in that. Uh, Connor, as I think you were pointing out when we were discussing it off air, it was uh, what they calculated about 10, 10% of that film is slow motion. I would have guessed more. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's four hours. Um, it's entirely too long. Um, I, I have the patience for movies that can be that long if there's, you know, enough going on or, or, or it's stylistically enough to hold my attention. And this was not that. And I, I'd seen the original version and did not care for it. So, I mean, I wasn't going into this with, uh, that rosy disposition, especially considering it was recut by Zack Snyder, who, uh, I don't think is a good director, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a movie that I watched. It was not as bad as I thought it would be, but it was, um, it was certainly interesting to see how this whirlwind of hype surrounding this property had paid off or not paid off, depending upon whom you ask. I, I feel like I just got to at least give kudos to Zack Snyder for just seeing this through and just convincing Warner Brothers to give him $70 million to finish this movie very few people cared about. <laughs> so, like, I guess my props, like, like, impressive. Can you just imagine, like, setting the scene? There's a project that's happening. And for some reason or another, the project lead has to leave and you were brought in to fix it. And instead of just finishing what they had, uh, you decide to redo 75% of it. And then once you produce that project and you share it, people hate it so much. Years later, the same people who hired you to finish this pay this other person uh, the original person, so much more money to finish it, to redo it. How do you think Joss Whedon is feeling right now? I hope like a piece of shit like he is. I'm so happy you took me through those steps, Sam, because I had no idea. I didn't know who Zack Snyder was until this entire hoopla. And then I didn't know how he was brought in. I didn't know any of the context around Justice League and the drama concerning the the creative visions. So thank you for taking me through that. 
Anytime. And it's definitely, it's definitely like, obviously, you know, um, I, I don't like Zack Snyder's movies. Uh, my sympathies with the guy, uh, he, you know, he left the project because of, uh, the death of his daughter. And, um, it was, uh, oh, you know, well, obviously know it was a really difficult and challenging time for him. And it was, uh, then handed over to Josh Whedon, who is, uh, another writer slash uh director slash filmmaker that i don't like so you know it, it this movie really never had a chance for me but um but that being said like in a way i am glad he could return to it with like a renewed vigor in that sense that being said uh with all of that being context i don't think the movie is good <laughs> fair enough <laughs> um has anyone like been keyed into the conversation around joss whedon lately mm-hmm. no so, like, to no one's surprise, the man is um, incredibly sexist, but also incredibly racist. He basically cut Ray Fisher out of um, the Justice League when, when he did it. And then he ended up getting Ray Fisher fired. And then um, Charisma Carpenter um, came out and talked about her experience on Buffy and how uh, Joss Whedon made her life a living hell. So, yeah, I'd heard about that. Yeah. So, you know what? Fuck Joss Whedon. Fuck Justice League. Fuck all of that. Goodbye. I, I watched an interesting video that was talking about, like, just comparing what was cut from the original and then what was, you know, Zack Snyder kind of like brought in. Yeah. And it appears that Warner Brothers, nobody knows who ever made this decision, that there was a studio mandate, which the former CEO said has to be two hours. And they cut all the parts of people of color and women, alter them drastically or totally cut them out of the movie. Yeah, Cyborg's kind of a non-entity in the theatrical cut. Yeah. So it's kind of like, hmm, the white, the white men got all the playtime and yet all the cool, seem, what sounds like cool, at least interesting things that the people of color and women in the movie get to do, like altering a scene between Martha and Lois Lane in the Joss Whedon version, I watched that was like super weird and sexist and like very terribly written when like the scene with Martha and Lois and the Snyder cut had at least like some emotion and heartfeltness and genuineness going on. Yeah. And frankly, the stuff that's added in the Snyder cut is is more interesting in that regard. That being said, it's, you know, some interesting features in a movie that's twice as long for the most part. But, you know, interesting in that regard, I'll say. Was this cut? slated for a theater release or was this like a covid project that snyder took on so since every single movie ever pretty much got delayed several months to several years and warner brothers just launched hbo max they were like or you know hbo max just launched they were like shit our struggling streaming service doesn't have too much on it and so mm -hmm. that's why they threw 70 million at Zack snyder who didn't take a single penny that was all for the budget he did this project pro bono um, so that was like, this would never have happened if it wasn't for COVID and HBO Max launching in 2020. Yeah. Ugh. Wait, what did I say to that kid today? You win some, you lose some. <laughs> <laughs> God. Um, wow. Well, you know, I do think I'm going to watch Justice League just to say that I've done it. God, the first one was so bad. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Any anybody watch anything else? Uh, I watched Nomadland. Oh, how was that? Beautiful. Um, yeah, I recommend it. It's uh, like there's not much more to say. <laughs> it's just like really beautifully shot. Um, like I have been reading some interesting articles that are talking about its handling of Amazon 
and Amazon's exploitation of Nomad, that the book, the movie was based on really, um, it, a focus of it is criticizing exploitive labor practices uh, with Amazon. And the movie critics are arguing uh, really doesn't handle the Amazon aspect in a, in a critical way as people really would, would like, uh, which I think is a really interesting conversation uh, around the movie, um, as well as a few other things that I've been kind of thinking about, but, but yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like really, really beautiful. And Francis McDormand is, is, is really good. And, um, yeah. Where did you watch that? On Hulu. Okay. Yeah. I've been meaning to check that out. I should get to it. Yeah. Um, I watched Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So the time of this recording, episode one is out. Um, I think I wrote this to Connor in all caps, but I was like, this is what I've deserved. <laughs> um, it's nice. I think that the the people who are in charge of this show really heard Cap fans saying how disappointed that they've been with Civil War and all the other subsequent movies and have returned to what made Winter Soldier so good. They, I mean, they even used the same composer, which like I started screaming about in my room. Uh, my roommates were like, what the fuck is going on? And I was like, Henry Jackson! You know, it was it was a whole thing. Um, but what what else is nice is, um, you know, I loved the show. It's great. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to how it continues. But um, something that my best friend and I would do every time a Marvel movie would come out, we would go see it together. She would like, drive down from Wilkes-Barre, we would go see it down here. And obviously we haven't been able to do that in a while, um, both because of COVID and also she now has a child. And so like, it's a little harder with that. Um, but we were able to watch this and it felt like old times again. So that was kind of nice. That's cool. Yeah, Echo Sam's thoughts that episode one was very good. I'm excited that this one's only like six episodes because I think it's cool that these different shows, like there's no mandate that it has to be 13 episodes or uh, they got a story to tell. And I'm excited to see where it goes involving maybe congressional MAGA people hijacking Captain America, that symbol. So I'm excited to see where the story goes. Yeah, I already have theories and I've, I've, I've like watched all the Easter egg stuff. So I can't wait. Um, Cool. Uh, well, tune in next time and we'll talk all about <laughs> episode number two. Uh, anyway, okay, so great. Recap what we've been watching. We're all doing okay, I guess. Who knows? Um, so I said before, we're continuing our heist movie theme. Um, basically, I feel like I sort of strong armed my friends here into the heist theme because I wanted to talk about this movie so much. So my pick for the month is Logan Lucky. Um, I adore this movie. And it's really, it's it's crazy. The, the, when I first watched it, I was like, meh on it. I thought it was entertaining. I thought it was funny. But the second time I watched it, I everything changed. I guess I had to be in like the right sort of mood to watch it. And it became easily one of my favorite movies. So um Logan Lucky came out in 2017. It's directed by Steven Soderbergh. Um, the screenplay was by Rebecca Blunt. Now, uh, in my notes here, I have this sort of mystery. So it's crazy. I know. So apparently, people don't believe that Rebecca Blunt is a real person. 
And instead, they think it's an alias or a pseudonym for Soderbergh's wife, uh, Jules Asner. Um, in an article I was reading, they were like, the only two people who have vouched for Rebecca Blunt <laughs> are Steven Soderbergh and Adam Driver. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> two people can it like trace the realness of this human being who, who wild, weird. Um, but this movie stars Channing Tatum, Adam Driver, Daniel Craig, and Riley Kehoe, um, supporting uh Sebastian Stan, uh Seth MacFarlane. I I knew Seth MacFarlane was in it because I saw his name. It took me until probably my third or fourth watch to be like, that is Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm just dumb, but it took me a mo. He's the energy drink guy, right? What's that? He's the energy drink guy, right? Yeah. I didn't realize that until I read your notes. <laughs> it was funny because, yeah, for me, it was like, I, I wasn't, uh, I didn't catch a lot of the, um, a lot of the opening uh, credits just because I was like, kind of paying attention to like the the cinematography and everything. And I felt I already knew who was in it, but I missed McFarlane being in it. And the second that character shows up, I was like, I don't like this character. Why? And then like immediately it was like, oh, this is Seth McFarlane, isn't it? And then it all made perfect sense. Uh, yeah. And I mean, like, it's so interesting to see all of these like really like relatively like hugely famous people be in this movie for only minutes maybe less than 10 minutes right so you have um sebastian sand seth mcfarland you have katie holmes um hillary swank um really well-known people who just have minor minor parts in this film so interesting to me now uh this movie was new to me in 2020 um has anyone seen this movie before or was this your first time watching connor I, yeah this is my first time seeing it yeah first time christine yeah. um i saw it in theaters i saw it at the roxy Aww. and i was like oh Aww. rip i want to go back to the uh, to, not r.i.p it's still going like it i'm still waiting for it to open but fingers yeah. crossed it was like oh i want to go back there when it's safe yeah whenever that is okay yeah, so <laughs> um so it sounds like dave this was um your first time watching it. So what did you think of the movie? Yeah, I um, I mean, as I discussed and established before, uh, I think th throughout this theme, uh, I'm not normally drawn to heist movies on the whole. I'm learning that there are exceptions um, and there are like things that subvert my expectation and like genre expectation of a heist movie. Um, a lot of which we've discussed so far and all of which, uh, you know, up to now I've liked. Uh, I like this one as well. I, I thought this was a really fun movie. It's very, very charming. It's got a really, really nice, um, a really nice tone and is supported by some interesting performances. Um, I think as far as the heist goes, it is well explained. Although I think in the end, I was felt, I, I was left feeling a little bit dissatisfied by how some of it dissipated. Um, all that, all that going to say that on the whole, uh, it was definitely for a first time viewing, uh, really enjoyable. I did think it was maybe at times I felt its length and toward the end. Yeah. I, I had some issues with its resolution, but, um, but yeah, on the whole for a first time run through, I, I enjoyed the movie and uh, would recommend it. Well, cool. thanks Dave. I 100% agree with you on the resolution and we can talk about that later, but Connor, mm -hmm. Christine, um, maybe your second, whoever, how many ever times you've seen it before on your next watching, um, 
what did you think of it? What did you think of it when you first saw it? I think, Christine, you actually recommended this to me years ago. And then I watched it with um, fellow Philly podcaster um, of Witchpath podcast, Christine and her husband, and watched it with the uh. too. Uh, we all watched it when we could go over people's houses and watch movies. Um, and so I loved it then. And I really love this movie now. I echo a lot of um, what you said, Dave. And it's just cool to watch like a NASCAR heist movie. Like kind of like it, they call it, they, you know, the characters are referred to as rednecks and hillbillies throughout the movie. So it's like, that's also like a kind of interesting, there's a few movies that kind of tackle that idea, um, but not a lot. So, and I think the mechanics of kind of how the heist work and the performances I think are the highlight. Um, and I love Adam Driver, Daniel Craig, and uh, Sam, you put in your notes, so I know we're going to talk about it, but Channing Tatum, really, I kind of forget that he does have, like, leading man qualities. He's a good actor. Mm-hmm. I think that's what really stood out to me as well. I, I watched, I rewatched Magic Mike recently, um, like, in the past, like, six weeks. And I think, yeah, just another fun Soderbergh picture that really showcases Channing Tatum's talent as... No, I mean that re- Magic Mike. So many talents going on there. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. I think he he's a really compelling presence, and I think you're right, Sam, that his his range I think is uh, is under undervalued or underappreciated um, because he has a really believable presence, and uh, I think that's kind of a hard energy to pull off, like like a performance that feels very like comfortable like I I feel like he plays characters that are like very comfortable in in themselves um and I think that's really shown in Logan Lucky and and because his performance is a little bit understated in a in a good way it lets the other characters be oddballs and the balance Uh is right uh and, and it really works as an ensemble uh as an ensemble cast kind of movie I still, Daniel Craig's accent, I just can't. <laughs> it's just, and honestly, I think re-watching it, I was like, most everyone's Southern accent is so bad. The one thing that I will say is that, like, as good as Driver is, I do think his accent is way more, like, pronounced than other than others, which for me is a little bit of a stumbling block, given that Channing Tatum is playing his brother. I mean, otherwise, I think that that might be my only critique of the performances in the whole film. But otherwise, I think it's it nails it. And I although it is cartoony, yeah, it's cartoony, and so there is that. And I think in your notes, Sam, you put the element of suspension of disbelief, and I think you have to go into this movie with that across the board, whether it's the mechanics of the heist or the (laughs) the like person or personas of everybody. It yeah, that's sort of the the mindset you have to go in with. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I already love what everyone's talking about. So so let's really dive in and then we can like tear it more apart. Um, so let me kind of start off by those of you who might not have seen Logan Lucky before by telling you a little bit of um, what it's about other than like a, a hillbilly heist movie. I, I hate to even say hillbilly because um, I think that this movie just kind of like plays into those stereotypes in a way to be like, hey, what you thought about this is wrong. Anyway, um, we can talk more about that in a moment. But so Logan Lucky, uh, I stole this from online somewhere. Uh, God bless whoever you were. Uh, West Virginia family man, Jimmy Logan teams up with his brother, Clyde, 
and sister Melly to steal money from the Charlotte Motor Speedway in North Carolina. Jimmy also recruits demolition expert Joe Bang and his brothers to help them break into. I know, I know. And that's what I call a Joe Bang. This movie is <laughs> fucking funny. Um, right. So uh, he gets Joe Bang and Joe Bang's brothers to help the Logans break into the track's underground system. Complications arise when a mix-up forces the crew to pull off a heist during a popular NASCAR race. Um, so uh, the big things that I wanted to talk about today, we sort of already got into them, which were um, the performances and also is the heist believable? I feel like in any heist movie, if the heist isn't believable, then like the movie just doesn't work. And so I was wondering... How did you feel about this particular heist? Was there anything that just was totally unbelievable and took you out of it? Or were you able to hit that suspension of disbelief and it didn't really bother you? I thought that this was a really cool cash heist because I think, you know, we talked about how there's so many different types of heists and the idea that they're robbing this nascar in charlotte which i guess is like the biggest one in the country i guess one of them and so instead of like having people walk around with cash drawers to like empty out drawers and bring cash they have these uh, like pneumatic pipes that run through the entire complex and just funnel like, all basically into like one big room kind of like a bank telling machine and exactly so I that yeah was a, cool, a cool just like something new and different and how do we like and there's this perfect little window it's like a great like ticking clock kind of elements too of like they got this one time, because there's this construction project, there's this vacuum, and we got to just vacuum this cash into the bag. And I just thought it was, like, had enough of the, like, science-y, high-tech stuff, and then enough kind of, like, low-tech. And that's kind of, like, I don't know. It was a great mixture of, like, sort of different ideas and, like, how Channing Tatum, Jimmy Logan, like, pulls this heist off and then at the end does something divisive with the cash at the end, which we'll talk about. Yeah, I found it to be both, like... um both like captive captivatingly inventive yet like practically realistic mm-hmm. um i mean like the, there's all sorts of like ingenuity that goes into seizing this opportunity through this very like specific system that we discussed like this sort of like vacuum tube funneling of of cash into like a vault and at one point um you know one of the characters you know painting cockroaches different colors so that they could put them in different tubes to understand what the direction was to the vault and everything like that, which is like, it's a really inventive detail that's applied to something that doesn't seem like entirely unrealistic or like beyond the means of the people doing it. It all feels like, it feels like, yeah, I don't know, just sort of like working class individuals pulling a heist based on their their collective knowledge, not only the inside knowledge of that like vacuum tube system, but also like some ingenuity and creative thinking and problem solving as far as like thinking through like, how do we test which tube with the cockroaches or like uh, Joe Bang is his name, right? Yeah. Daniel Craig's character, like his whole concoction, which I'll return to because I found that to be like alt- uh, initially very like eye rolly and like, well, actually hell with it. I'll talk about it now. Um, when, uh, when he's like, he's kind of like their explosions and like demolitions expert who they bring in who they think is like you know he's joe bang he's known for being able to blow up bolts and like all this stuff and it turns out what he does is it's what a mixture of like uh assault 
substitute gummy bears and uh, some other liquid, I think. But basically all over-the-counter materials that one wouldn't detect if one was sneaking explosive materials into a building. Because who would think that you could make that concoction other than this guy? And the one thing that did have me rolling my eyes at first was like when he's writing out the equation in chalk on the wall. And I'm like... Like, I understand, like, obviously he's like very smart about like, he knows the chemical composition of this, but like to see him actually write it out on the wall, I was like, all right, this is maybe a bridge too far. Then he sends the, it into the tube and it gets spat back out and they think it's going to explode, but it doesn't. And he looks at it and he's like, oh, I twisted the bag one too many times. And that's when I was like, okay, all of this is actually really great. And I think if you think about this movie compared to another Soderbergh heist, like the ocean, like Ocean's Eleven, I don't find mm. any elements of the heist in Logan Lucky like believable. But like I find it in <clears throat> some ways much more fun to watch because it's not trying as hard as like the mechanics and the setup of an Ocean's movie, where it's like they are using the most high tech techno like explosive devices and they are hacking into the security system and they are going to do a really fascinating twist that like has pre-recorded footage and all of that stuff. So it's like, while that movie sets up this, uh, these very like precise and over the top uh, elements of a heist, this one is like, we're just gonna, we're going to improvise. We're going to figure it out and it's going to be fun uh, unexpected ways to set up this heist. Again, I didn't find it all that believable, but it didn't matter because the tone of the movie sets the viewer up to not care and just like, or at least for me to not care and just see how these inventive characters handle every situation and come up with weird devices like painting cockroaches. <laughs> And it doesn't uh, go that. against its own logic. So, like, yes, it, if this is the world, like, it always yes. stays in that world and the tone. Yeah. I think you have up. identified it succinctly, yeah. And I also really liked how Soderbergh, and I assume his wife, who wrote it, maybe, um, lots of great payoff. Like, because in the beginning of the movie, um, one of the opening scenes is um, Seth MacFarlane's character, I guess, is this, like, energy drink magnate in West Virginia, who is Sebastian Stan's boss in like the NASCAR sponsor scene. And so he gets into like, he's just an, an asshole in the bar, gets into a fight with Clyde and Jim. Like they all, like there's this big brawl. Jimmy sets his car on fire. And I was like, where is this? How is this going to kind of pay off? And then um, that sort of becomes a foil later on, or he kind of gets some different layers. So um, I thought that there was also some great, and the fake salt that Joe Bang goes on and on about when they first visit him in prison then that mm. comes into play too. So there was just a lot of great setup and you're like, where is this going? And then I feel like I can't think of anything that didn't really have a nice payoff moment. Even the moment with his family has a really great payoff at the end as well. Something not related to the heist, I think has a nice, you know, kind of through line throughout the movie. You know, that to me is interesting because the one thing that I did think was like an, a, an odd curveball at the end that is for me entirely unresolved in a lot of ways is Hillary Swank's character. Where, where she emerges as like really like stern and really motivated like presence of someone who is investigating and trying to like crack the case of how these people did this and like bring them to justice. And like, it's very clear that's her character and she's a highly motivated character. But I'm looking at my watch and I'm like, there's like 25 minutes of this movie left. And 
in essence, it's basically her doing like three really, really good interrogations. She's very good in it. Three really good interrogation scenes that are really intense that ultimately all come to nothing. And in the end, spoiler alert, uh, she finds herself observing the gang as they've kind of like reunited after a heist that they thought, you know, was being written off and like dismissed, but like are still, you know, uh, benefiting from. And it seems like she's like, observing them from like the perspective of like oh she still knows what's up and is building a case and everything but like that's also a character who's like those stakes could have been really interesting if they were sewn into the movie throughout like if we started with her character and like her going through this case but it, it for me is just like oh you really introduced like the only presence or like the only notion that they might get caught because of this with 25 minutes to go and it doesn't go anywhere I guess I just, in my mind, she is a whole separate other problem to talk about unrelated to the things I like that were set up within the first act, I guess is kind of what I'm thinking. I, I think there yeah. are a couple afterthought characters. Hilary Swank's character is the detective. I definitely agree, Dave, is sort of an afterthought. I think Catherine Waterston's character is the doctor is an afterthought. Yeah. It's not developed at all. And I guess... Yeah, I think I would have liked to see both of those characters more integrated into the story or feel a little bit more connected to the kind of thrust of the of the story, but Yeah, cuz for me like the interesting thing about this movie is that I'm I'm so taken by its tone and its charm and it's a lot of its performances that for the first half I'm like I'm thinking like this is just going to go off pretty much essentially without a hitch other than the other like minor hiccups they experience. Like it, you know, we come to love these characters. There's a momentum behind like the way they navigate the situation such that it's like, all right, they're probably not going to encounter obstacles, but it'll be fun to watch. And then the obstacles come into play with like 25 minutes left and don't come to anything. So it's kind of like a heist movie that doesn't have consequences, which is a little weird, but yeah, on the whole, I think it's, it's charm outweighs that problem, but it was a little weird to see it kind of like dissipate in that way which is now like now that we're talking about it i just am now continuing to think about it within the context of oceans 11 and i really think soderbergh maybe just wanted to redo a heist movie but that was character forward and hmm. heist secondary yeah that's a good description oceans 11 is like all about the heist. I don't give two shits about <laughs> the relationships between all of the characters, even though it tries as well. But I think there's a lot more about fa like familial dynamic, about friendship um, that really is at the forefront. And maybe he, that was intentional, uh, like whether it was Rebecca Blunt or Jules Asner, the, the idea was to really showcase the characters and kind of give the give the heist not very many stakes so that we can all just kind of go along for the for the ride. Well, yeah. and I think what I did like about the inclusion of Hilary Swank's character, who I think does come on a, a bit strong that late in the movie, is how kind of like she's powerless, how the FBI is powerless to actually kind of get this case together because the racetrack, spoiler alert, Jimmy Logan essentially gives what, 90% of the money back? Because since it's just cash and, like, the machines are down, there's no way to, like, actually count how many dollar bills were in the vault. I have and a so, problem with that, though, by the way. As someone who has had my credit card system go down, but my POS system is fine, you can still monitor cash. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, it, we'll get to that in a second. But the idea of, like, 
that the racetrack views this as just a write-off for insurance. Right. That is just gave a, you know, a several million dollar estimate to the insurance of actually knowing how much money and they're dismissing the FBI because like, well, we got our tax, we got our insurance money back. So kind of everybody wins. So I think he's, there's something that maybe we can unpack a little more, but something interesting there with like the FBI is just kind of powerless to actually solve this because there's no victims. Which See, I think interesting thinking about American animals, which told mm. with that's a theme where, oh, we're not going to have any victims. And then there are crap tons of victims. But with this movie, there are there victims? It's it's a thing where like I, I, I would like to have seen that like the the like bureaucratic obstruction of administrative justice through Swank's character throughout the movie rather than it being there at the end, because then it just feels like we're just fast forwarding past the consequences to resolution. Well, I think you get that a little with the prison warden and how that situation just gets, which is maybe the most unrealistic thing in the whole movie. But I thought allowed a lot of comedy, that kind of whole, how the prison was involved. Um, So I think that you get glimpses of people in power just inept and these systems that we think mean something don't really incorporate anything, don't really have anything to back them, or the men who are in charge don't really do anything of substance. Yeah, that's an interesting vantage point, yeah. You know, it's interesting because, like, to me, I felt like the stakes were kind of high um, because this is such a character-driven movie rather than heist-driven. Um it felt very real to me, Jimmy losing his opportunity to be a father to his daughter. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I I think that this movie really, like, I really connected with this movie because, like, I, I see my family a little bit in it. And, like, I, I know what it feels like to watch someone you love be fired, be let go from a job for because of something that they, they can't help. And then to be struggling to find work and just to to really feel like they've got everything going against them. And I think that, you know, there is a real possibility that Jimmy like loses this opportunity, um, both like legally to to be around with his daughter, because we already have Katie Holmes who are saying, like, I have full custody, so it doesn't matter what you think. But then also just losing his daughter because he's not showing up for her. Like she wanted him so desperately to be at that performance she was having. And um, she, when she finally sees him, she sings, um, you know, the John Denver song. Country Road. Country Road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so I don't know. Like, I think the, the, the high stakes. Yeah, I definitely agree. But like the, the personal stakes, I think were kind of high. I think the way that pays off is really great. Um, especially because, you know, obviously we're introduced to, you know, them bonding over that song at the, at the start of the film. Then it seems that his Jimmy's whole motivation really in, in getting into the heist is to mount this legal battle against, um, against, uh, Katie Holmes's character, her mother for like joint custody. And then like, ultimately, like, I, I think he, I mean, it's, it's basically how the the film plays out. It's, you know, obviously, spoiler alert. It's like he he, he not only g- kind of gives up on the whole heist idea outside of like paying off the people that were involved, um, but like for himself, doesn't like really take any of the money. And it's because I, I think in part he's realized that like, you know, b- buying my daughter's like custody is is not the answer or whatever. Blah blah blah. 
And then he sees her performing that at the, you know, at the talent show, she forgoes uh, Umbrella by Rihanna, which she was going to do and goes for Country Road because of her, her connection to her father. And you kind of also see Katie, Katie Holmes's character, like kind of realizing, you know, the importance and the absence of her father's uh, influence that she's kind of imposing through this custody battle. And that's why the custody battle dissipates. Because, like, ultimately, he didn't need that money because it it didn't become this – it didn't remain this contentious thing between the two separated parents because they both recognized that, you know, this this child is really attached to both of us and we should be more, you know, caring and proactive toward their needs rather than having our, our spat divide their time. And I, I think it's a really, really cool resolution. Uh, I think it's it's the most resolution that we get, but I think it's, you know, it's very – it's very thoughtful and really a really touching scene when we get to the country road uh, talent show sequence. And instead of taking the money and becoming like a millionaire or doing whatever, or buying this huge house and trying to win his daughter over, as you mentioned, he goes to work at Lowe's. Yeah. Like in Lynchburg where they moved to. So it's, it's just, yeah, I think that was, I just really appreciated that kind of ending moment too. Of like, that's a, I think that shows who Jimmy is as much as leaving the money behind. And it's interesting too, in the sense that, like you know, he the reason he orchestrated this was for was for that goal. But he's realizing that's not his goal anymore. He wants to play it straight, and he wants to earn his daughter's love and and trust. Even so, he still pays everybody off that was involved. Like he he kind of sees it through all the right ways to the end, which is you know pretty satisfying for a heist movie. And also, like my big problem with a lot of heist movies is one character has everything figured out the whole time, and like he kind of does. Like he's picking up the pieces of like what the other guys are like messing up in. in here and there it subverts that for me because the character is humanized and is likable and has a goal that subverts them being like a heist genius like they they are they are the ones that make it work but in the end that's not what was really important to them which is a really cool twist for a heist movie i felt like the daughter switching her song at the last moment was a bigger twist than the then the, the money at the end of the heist. <laughs> Which I guess connects to the strength of the family storyline that she provides the compelling twist we need at the end of the movie. That's so interesting. You know, okay, so we're talking about how character heavy this movie is. And, and really, um, it was about the family we made along the way. Um, but hearing us talk about Jimmy played by Channing Tatum, um, it makes me wonder if this was played by somebody else, would we feel the same way about Jimmy? And I, we talked about it before. I have it in my notes. I think that Channing Tatum is a is such an underrated actor. I think he's fucking hilarious. If you've ever seen 21 or 22 Jump Street, like great in both of those yeah those movies have no right being as funny as they are and they're hilarious and he does such a great job but and then in the flip side here I, I i can't remember who said it but he like really downplays this performance but it's so beautiful and like this genuine love that he has with his daughter like it, it feels real and i just wonder like how much is that at channing like or was that actually like the character well, and I think this also just shows, I mean, Soderbergh is a great director for a reason. And I think that this is a really, taking everything he's learned about the Ocean movies and throughout his career, I wonder how much of that, like, what did he want to see out of a leading man in his heist movie? He probably wrote, or no, I, okay, 
Jules Asner or Rebecca Blunt wrote the character, but like, I mean, Magic Mike came first and he cast Channing in Magic Mike. So it was probably like, I know exactly who I want for that character. Because they kind I feel like there are similarities in their, in their, in their characters between those two movies. Yeah. I mean, Soderbergh came out of retirement to direct this movie. That's so interesting. I did not know that. Yeah, I didn't either. So, you know, Christina, I think that there might be something to that. Maybe this was written with uh, Channing Tatum in mind. Feels that way. I mean, someone else could have stepped in maybe, but yeah, I I, I don't know. I think he, I think he shuffled in as like a, a pretty pronounced star who normally has like a pretty like written and magnetic presence and is appropriately shuffled in as kind of like the more reserved character among a cast of more exaggerated characters. And I think he plays that well. What I find funny is how many British actors are in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, we have Daniel Craig, uh, Catherine Wat- Waterston, uh, who's Sam Waterston's uh, daughter, which I didn't realize. She's British. Or she's like, she's like British-American. But um, one of the Gleason sons is the br- the redhead... I don't know if they're brothers or just friends. I was like, oh my God, I've never seen this Gleason. Tell me more. <laughs> um, who else is British? I feel like there was one more who I saw. And then you have Seth MacFarlane doing like. Doing a British accent. <laughs> is it British or is it Australia? I couldn't even, I couldn't even tell. <laughs> um, yeah, just many, many um, putting on interesting new, like. American British accent swaps, which was kind of funny. <laughs> I'll say I love Daniel Craig in this movie. Oh my god. He, he, is, he is a joy to watch. And I think it set I think it set the world up to love his character in Knives Out too. Yes. Yeah. Once again, reprising the Southern accent. It's still <laughs> kind of rough to listen to. <laughs> but he just slips into this character so well and is 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 really genuinely funny. What is what's the what does he say in the back seat when they're when they're driving? They've just when he's changing? When he's changing there's something that he oh I can't remember the line. Don't he's turn got, around. I'm gonna be naked. Oh naked, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, Christine, you're talking about um, Daniel Craig's performance and how funny it is. Like, we have talked at length about how much I don't like comedies. And I think that this is a really great example of a comedy that's done well for me is I hate when something's in your face trying to be funny. But this is just, yeah, it's definitely written as a comedy, but it really depends on situations and on actor's timing and i think that like it wouldn't have been funny if he didn't say nick it you know you know like that if he didn't bring that to it and i wrote this in my notes here but i swear to god adam driver might be one of the funniest people and it's just like his timing some of the things that he said i don't think we're supposed to be funny but i was like in tears And, you know, I was just wondering, like, what do you think of this movie as a comedy movie? And, you know, Adam Driver and Daniel Craig as comedic actors. I think it's a good comedy. It's funny. Mm -hmm. It does the job. Um, 
and Sam, it's a very, it's very, as you just described, it's very much your tone of comedy. Um, it, it's, you know, it's warmer character driven comedy, which is, 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 can be really great stuff. Like it reminds me a little bit of like things like King of the Hill or stuff like that, where it is so much based in like established character warmth and, and your attachment to that. And, um, yeah, like I, I don't think the movie has many unlikable characters and the characters that are unlikable are unlikable on purpose. So it's it's a good job in that regard. And I do think, yeah, it's definitely more, yeah, more character driven comedy than it is situational because obviously it's funny, you know, the meme that we just traded around when we were talking earlier of just uh, Adam Driver, you sucked my arm off. <laughs> it's like, it's an objectively funny moment, but it might not be as funny if it weren't such a character centric comedy. Because we've already spent so much time getting attached to his character in in a fond but comedic way, and that um, Clyde Adam Driver's character wasn't wasn't juvie. Then went into I guess Iraq, Afghanistan, mm-hmm. lost his arm or his hand and wrist, not his arm, um, and then came back. And this prosthetic limb has such it's kind of like its own character. <laughs> yeah, it is. It reminded me of the like the prop in it, like the invisible thing in an improv show that just keeps coming back. And like different scenes, like just this kind of ever present that has such a great payoff when it accidentally gets sucked into the vacuum machine. And he puts so much love and care into this arm. And then he's such like a one track minded kind of character that that's just what he's focused on, like getting it back. And like, that's such a great idea that whoever had to have one of those to plant that seed to have that be something that derails the heist. Yeah. Not something from the outside, but something from the inside. God, it's just so fucking funny. And then also, like, Connor, you texted me this, but this is like a perfect example. So when the people in prison are having that, like they're staging that sit-in, essentially, um, one of their requests is to get the newest Game of Thrones books that aren't released yet. And they have this whole argument. It is the fucking funniest thing it is so and it's the way that they're all like handling it and talking to one another about it that really makes it funny well and and uh, i think i watched this movie yeah i watched this movie before i read all the song of ice and fire books so i totally forgot this happened and i was just if anybody knows me in real life i'm a huge game of thrones fan in the books and that just killed me and and when the warden was like no they finished the tv show and then they came in here and that's where you heard it from they watched the show they didn't read the books and this whole it's such a great and as people who are aware of how prisons work yeah um, that was that was really something that felt very plausible that could happen yeah well (laughs) well yeah well all right let's see i want to talk about is this a believable heist comedy performances is there anything else about this movie that you think deserves um us discussing the the idea of the logan family curse Mm. is maybe what I think of as like one of the most underdeveloped parts of the movie. Um, because, and we haven't really talked about Millie Logan, who is one of the Logan siblings. And I feel like has like a really pivotal part, but does not get a lot of screen time. Like she's incredibly important to Channing Tatum pulling off this heist. Like without her, his version of the heist would not be possible. And they mentioned the Logan family curse a lot, but I feel like we are missing like a flashback or missing some kind of like, what is, is, does this go back generations or is this just like the three of them growing up in West Virginia? I feel like that was one element that was not teased out very well. And one thing that 
I still kind of don't quite understand why that was put into the movie so many times without understanding what that meant. Unless that was just as kind of an idea of like general blue collar, um, down on your luck energy. Yeah, I, I, you know, I totally understand what you're saying, Connor. And I don't know if I have an answer for that because like, I think when we first meet Clyde, this is when he's talking about the Logan family curse. And this is one of the lines where I'm telling you, like, I don't think it was meant to be funny, but like, I, I literally couldn't stop laughing because of just how Adam Driver is delivering it. But he's talking about all of his family that have um, undergone some like serious, but kind of like very ordinary things mm-hmm. and being like, this is a curse. And it's like, well, when you look at it this way, sure. But also this is just life for other people. And, um, you know, I, I think that's like helping us understand who Clyde is, um, you know, like a, like a brilliant guy, but like very like simple. Hmm. I, I didn't think of it that way. That's a, and I guess he is the one that says that and other characters, like people who like, cause Jimmy was supposed to be this big football player who I, I assume had a huge ego and then hurt his leg and then gave up his entire professional sports career. Mm-hmm. So I guess, yeah, I didn't think about that from Clyde's. That's how Clyde would view the world and everything that happened to him. You mentioned the character of Melly Connor, and I did want to get, is it Kylie Ko? Ko? I don't know how to pronounce her last name, but she's Elvis's granddaughter, right? Is she? Holy shit. I think I fact check me listeners but anyhow, one of his granddaughters think, probably well, yeah oh. well um, <laughs> she's great in this movie uh and i i thought i loved watching the dynamic of the logan siblings but and i and i loved uh i loved her performance which was also kind of kind of just chill but she kind of sat in her character really well and um clearly like is a really loving character, but also just tough and knows her shit. And that was a, that was a really fun performance to watch. And wasn't she in, um, what did we just talk about? Wasn't she in Mad Max, right? Mm -hmm. She was, uh, the character, I just, I'm just on her Wikipedia page and the character capable. What? Oh, no shit. I didn't recognize her. And she is Elvis's granddaughter. She is the <laughs> eldest daughter of Elvis's only child. Priscilla, right? Or rec- maybe recognized child. Is she Priscilla's yeah. daughter? Oh, no, Lisa Marie? Or Lisa Marie. Oh, Priscilla was Elvis's wife. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> this has made me <laughs> ill in some way. <laughs> I was trying to piece together all of the famous... Uh, granddaughters and grandsons in this movie um dennis quaid and uh meg ryan meg ryan's son is in it too i watched this right as the boys came out and jack quaid is jack the character of the boys and so that was funny watching two very different performances (laughs) jack quaid who he is huey and the boys and then his character in this movie anything else about logan lucky i mean this movie is pretty straightforward um, we've talked a lot about some of the best parts, but anything you want to say before we kind of close it and put it on the shelf? I know I brought up the last point that I wanted to bring up, but I'm going to bring up another point that I really liked. Um, and I feel like this is just nice to have like 
a realist or like a genuine feeling like separated divorced family like the stepdad he's a douchebag played by roy from the office i always forget his name but it's funny seeing him pop up and stuff he's like a kind of a douchebag but he's not like a bad guy you know he just has like an inflated ego and an inferiority complex but he's like genuinely like seems to take care of his kids doesn't care if they walk fast and furious but he's not like an evil stepdad but he's an inferior movie stepdad, which is the whole arc. Yeah. yeah. And so I just enjoyed like this felt like a real kind of custody battle. It wasn't like it's so easy to paint that characters like evil or that relationship or the mom is evil. Like it felt very like genuine and honest relationships. I feel like, yeah, I don't know. Katie Holmes's character was written to be unlikable at first, but uh, she comes around in that moment where she caves and like realizes her, the importance of her father's influence in her daughter's life and maybe laxing being a little more lax about the the custody agreement and so on um so it's resolved but yeah um yeah i i think yeah strong movie uh definitely very charming uh really great tone and uh, as a heist movie takes some really interesting liberties with the concept in terms of refocusing your attention on the characters and the people perpetrating the heist rather than the heist scenario itself especially for someone who directed the ocean series um one last little thought that I had was that the fight choreography in this movie is very bad. I hate um, the, fight. the fights. The fights. Uh, well, exactly, oh, but also in the, bar, in the bar. In the bar and also in the prison, it's like they they didn't work out the blocking of this. This looks very fake, um, but it's not an important part of the movie, so it doesn't really matter that much. Yeah. So on the whole, I uh, yeah really enjoyed it. It was a. Uh, it was a bit of a curveball. It's normally not the tone that I dabble with, but um, applied to a, a, it is kind of like a double negative. It was like a tone that I don't particularly normally care for applied to a genre I don't particularly care for. And because they were merged, it worked. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's something special about this movie, and I think you might have just hit it. Um well, I definitely recommend giving this one a watch. It was a surprising one for me. And also, I told my parents about this movie. They watched it and they didn't like it. So watch uh, it and tell me who, which hunter you're going to believe. Me <laughs> or Maria and Tim? Tell me. Do you share a lot of uh, movie faves with your parents? No. <laughs> <laughs> But I was like, it's so funny. How how could they not like it? And the, the comment I got was, our sense of humor and your sense of humor are very different. Oh. I was like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> this was like when I introduced my parents to the Royal Tenenbaums and they were like, oh, you're our son? <laughs> <laughs> what? So what's like your parents' favorite comedy? I'm trying to like get in my head like the the... Oh my God. comedic forces like you know my parents are uh, big fans of mash um they love friends i mean like arguably good right like you know friends friends in its heyday friends was good it's so uh... well i <laughs> you're from the seinfeld camp so like there's... that's true that's true that's true so yeah um but like most recently god what movies have my parents watched I, you know, I have to not like comedy for some reason. This might be why, because either we never watched them or I thought it was so bad that I was just like, all comedy sucks. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
Well, well this is an interesting thing to continue parsing through. Yeah. What what is a good comedy? What defines good comedy? That very Well, we're um, doing Heist Month, which Dave was hesitant to. I think that means we have to do Comedy Month. Oh, come on. Oh, that's a huge that's, I gotta think about that. That's, that's a lot. I think I just saw Sam die a little on the inside. I mean, I, I know there are better comedies, but my first instinct is now we're going to watch Dumb and Dumber. Oh, God. <laughs> no. no, please, no. It's Can pretty we... funny. <laughs> then I'll pick The Mask. <laughs> oh, no, it's happening. And I'll pick Elf. <laughs> This is my Good worst God. nightmare. <laughs> oh, God. Just the idea of this happening. Fine. <laughs> Fine. Just no, I think I picked the Santa Claus. The Santa Claus. Well. Not, I'm just kidding. I don't know what I think. Well, we'll have time to figure it out, I'm sure. Jesus <laughs> Christ. All right. Well, anyway, um, that was Logan Lucky, folks. Check it out. Let me know who is right, who's wrong, me or my parents. Um, if you do watch it, <laughs> that's, that's it. That's it. <laughs> if you do watch it, though, tell me how. Tell me what you think of it, because I'm pretty curious. So, um, all right, we're gonna continue and finish up Heist Month next week with Dave's pick, um, which I am very excited to talk about. So um, make sure you tune in to us next week to keep going. You listen to some of our other back episodes, a lot of really great content, and you can do that all on the Movie John Podcast Network, um, where there are a bunch of other really wonderful podcasts too, including Tori's Killer Bees. Woo! Um, and you can find us, of course, on all of our social media uh, at Butter With That on Instagram and Facebook, Butter With That Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, I did it. Cool. Great. Woo! Two years in and we finally get it down. Um, anyway, so let us know what you think. Just talk to us. I'm bored. I don't know if you're bored, but like, I just like to talk to people. Um, so thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great whatever time of day it is for you. I love that that's our now go-to sign-off. Yeah. <laughs> it's perfect.